turns out that there are two distinct systems in the brain for sleep. One is called your sleep drive. The other is called your sleep rhythm, or what we know as your circadian rhythm. If people get one thing from my talk today, one thing is wake up at the same time every single day. Welcome to the Learnability Podcast. This is truly a pleasure to have you on. Oh, thank you so much for being here. It's, it's my honor to be here. I'm excited. It's a topic that is of a huge personal interest. And I think our listeners will also be interested in hearing some of your, of your insights. I'm thinking we can start with an introduction of yourself. Of course, of course. So uh, my name is Dr. Michael Bruce, and uh, I'm here in the United States. I have a PhD in clinical psychology, so I'm a clinical psychologist, but I am also medically board certified in clinical sleep disorders. Now that might sound strange. Um, I've done something a little bit unique uh, rather than what most people do here in the United States. Most doctors will go and get their medical doctorate um, and go through medical school to be able to treat sleep disorders. I had a little bit of a different route. Yeah. Um, I went through the psychology side of things, and then I ended up taking the medical boards without going to medical school and passing. I'm one of 168 oh. people who've ever done that. And so I'm allowed to do all of the stuff that the MDs do, but I have a very different background. And I've really focused my research and my learnings on the psychology of sleep and sort of what does that mean and how does our brain affect our body has been an area of interest for well over 20 years. So I'm, I have a lot of uh, readings and learnings and understandings about how our brain seems to affect our body. And I'm quite interested to hear more about the different fields involved in sleep. But first, sure. I want to get into, and you probably hear this question all the time, common myths around yes. sleep. Yes. Of course, of course. Well, there's many myths around sleep. And the biggest one, I would say, is the fact that everybody seems to think that you need eight hours of sleep. Oh, yeah? Let me be clear. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, there are some people... Yeah. who do need eight hours of sleep, but the vast majority of people actually don't. And everybody feels so guilty that they're not getting their eight hours. So let's, one talk, right, let's <laughs> talk through that idea yeah. in a very straightforward and simple way. So we know that the average sleep cycle is approximately 90 minutes long. A sleep cycle for folks out there who don't know what a sleep cycle is, is when you go from wake to stage one, stage two, down into stages three and four, back to stage two and into REM sleep. That little kind of dance maneuver is called a sleep cycle, yeah. right? Everybody has sleep cycles throughout the night. Average time is about 90 minutes long. That's gonna become an important number in just a second, so everybody store that in your brain. Yeah. The average human has five of these sleep cycles. Not all of us, but about half, no, about 65% of people have five cycles. Now, I didn't tell anybody that there was gonna be any math today, right? <laughs> but if we multiply five cycles times 90 minutes, we get 450 minutes divided by 60 just to tell us how many hours is seven and a half hours. All right. The math doesn't even work. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Like think about it. Like if you just did it by the average numbers, you should only be getting seven and a half hours, not oh, even yeah. eight hours. So the thing I try to tell people all the time is your sleep need 
is personalized. So let me tell you my sleep need. I'm yes. 52 years old. Okay. I'm an avid health nut and I, you know, have my green drink in the mornings and I do my running and my meditations and all of those good things. I go to bed around midnight. I wake up just about at 613 every single day, every day. You wake up by yourself. Without an alarm, oh, completely yeah. on. I'm the sleep doctor yeah. and I only sleep six hours and 15 minutes a night. Okay. And this is, and this is not that I'm doing it by choice. This is what my body is telling me that I need. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing I want people to understand is our body tells us that we need sleep in different ways. And by the way, it can change. As an example, if you have any female listeners, which I'm sure you do, yes. their sleep needs will change based on their menstrual cycles throughout a month. But nobody has ever talked to them about that. Wow. I've got, it's unbelievable, dude. Yeah. I've got women who say to me, I need more sleep before my period and I need less sleep after my period, but I keep trying to get eight hours. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like the common sense starts to come into it. Right. Or for example, let's say that you catch a cold or you have the flu or God forbid you get COVID. Right. Yeah. You will need much more sleep mm. because sleep is where your body is repairing. Yeah. Sleep is where your body is fighting this infection. Right. So you may need more sleep during some of those times. Um, other times that you might need a little bit more sleep, Let's say you go out for a run or a jog or a bike ride and you do a lot of physical exercise. Well, your body may need a little bit more sleep on those days, right? So every night is going to be a little bit different. What we need to do is figure out what is the amount that we personally need. Now, there's one other factor here that a lot of people don't know about that I want to share with everybody. It's something called your chronotype, all right? Yeah. What is a chronotype? Many people have never heard that word, but you've actually heard of the concept before. Okay. If anybody has ever told you that you are an early bird or a night owl, meaning somebody who has a tendency to enjoy mornings okay. versus somebody who has a tendency to enjoy evenings more, mm -hmm. believe it or not, that's genetic. So it turns out that there's a very specific gene in your DNA. And if it's flipped the wrong way, you become an early bird. And if it's flipped another way, you become a night owl. So now, there's not, two states of that. Actually, there's four. Okay. Yeah. But I'm only talking about two right now. I'm going to yeah. bring in the other two in just a second. Okay. So early bird night owl are the extremes. Turns out that there's types of people in the middle, mm. right? Because yeah. I mean, there has to be, right? Yes. And then there's people who have insomnia. That was my contribution to the literature. So five years ago, I wrote a book called The Power of When, W-H-E-N. And it's all about identifying your chronotype and then living a lifestyle based on that. Now you might say to yourself, hold on a second. I thought we were talking about sleep. I thought we were talking to the sleep doctor. He's talking about life. He's talking about being awake. What's going on here? Remember everyone, we sleep to live. Okay. Yes. Very few people say, Oh, I just love sleep. All I want to do is sleep. No, we sleep in order to wake up, to spend time with loved ones, to have a career, to have purpose, to fight injustices. We do all of these things, yes. right? The next day, based on what sleep does for us at night. Oh, so, yes. so when we think about all of these things like chronotypes, we say to ourselves, well, how can our sleep at night potentially affect us during the day? And of course, we know that that happens quite a bit. Like, for example, if you get a bad night's sleep, how is your performance the next day? Well, it's okay. Yeah. It's not great. You certainly wouldn't want to run a race as a professional athlete having had a terrible night's sleep the night before. Yeah. So when we look at sleep and we look at chronotype and we look at when people sleep, 
It also helps us learn so much more about their daytime activities and how to do those activities in a, in a very good way. Oh, I find that so interesting. I know there's some nights where I get six hours of sleep and I feel mm-hmm. great, but I can right. mentally burden myself for not getting the eight hours. So mm-hmm. also there's a psychological aspect in there. If I was just happy with six and know that it's good enough, I would probably maybe have a better day. You would, and I would argue that that's exactly how you should think about it. You should accept the amount of sleep that you got as what you need. Now, let's be fair. If you get woken up at four o'clock in the morning for some unknown reason, well, you probably didn't get the sleep that you need. Um, And if if it was something like a phone call in the middle of the night or some some noise or something, you might not be able to fall back asleep. I'm not talking about those times. I'm talking about times when you go to sleep and then you wake up the next day at whatever time that is, and your body has rested enough. That's what I'm talking about. And I think we can identify those times very easily. You were speaking about 65%, if I'm remembering it correctly, 65% having five sleep cycles. Mm-hmm. Does the rest tilt towards having less or more? Four. Four. So it's so I'm glad you were so observant. So it turns out that there are two chronotypes, the evening chronotype and the insomnia chronotype that only have four of these cycles, generally speaking. Oh, yeah. So they have a tendency to get about hmm, about six and a half to almost seven hours of sleep, whereas the other group gets closer to seven and a half hours of sleep. So there's a big disparity there of about 40 to 50 minutes of sleep. Now, if I turn to you and I said, hey, I got to let you know something. I'm going to take away 50 minutes of your sleep tonight. You'd say, no, you're not. Absolutely not. You're not taking away 50 minutes of my, it, you would be, you would want to hold on to that, right? You would say, that's mine. That's good. I want it. That's healthy, all those things. But naturally, genetically speaking, people who are night owls like myself or people who have insomnia, like many of my patients, we just don't sleep very long periods of time because we have low, what's called sleep drive. Turns out that there are two distinct systems in the brain for sleep. One is called your sleep drive. The other is called your sleep rhythm or what we know as your circadian rhythm. Sleep drive turns out to be actually very biological. When a cell eats a piece of glucose, something comes out the back end. One of those things is this stuff called adenosine. Adenosine is a neurotransmitter that works its way through your system and goes to a very specific receptor site in your brain. As the adenosine accumulates, you get more and more sleepy right? That's how that sleep drive works. But for night owls and for insomniacs, that drive isn't high. They don't make a lot of adenosine. So they don't sleep for longer periods of time. It's not their fault. It's biological. But society has said, you must sleep eight hours. And you've even experienced this yourself saying, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty for not getting, dude, it's your biology. Mm. Like you're being, you're feeling guilty about being you. (laughs) (laughs) And you mentioned your vantage point into this is uh, psychology, mm-hmm. just right. And but you've mentioned biology, and I want to ask also how we find out about our chronotypes. So let me combine this in the question, leading yes. with that: How do we find out about our chronotypes? But also, what are the different fields of science involved in studying sleep? Got it. So the, it's easy to figure out what your chronotype is. I've created a quiz that people can go to online. Yeah. Uh, we'll put it into the show notes, but it's a chronoquiz.com. That's what it's called. I'll put it here for you in the chat just so that way you have it. Thank you very much. There we go. Chronoquiz.com. So it's super easy to yeah. be able to find that. 
That's number one. Now, what are the different types of doctors that have gone into the fields of sleep medicine? Wow, there's quite a few. Here in the United States, um, which is where I've practiced and where I probably know the most about the types of physicians that have gotten involved, it's been very interesting. And to be honest with you, it's been a little... Mm, I think there are a lot of people who have been kind of trying to say sleep is in their category mm. more so than they probably need to. Oh, so yeah. right now in the United States, about 80 to 90 percent of the doctors are what are called pulmonologists. They're lung doctors. So they take care of people's lungs. Okay. okay. About one to two percent of people are psychologists like myself, where we deal mostly with insomnia, but we still deal with apnea, narcolepsy, that kind of thing. We also have neurologists involved, and this has a lot to do with um, narcolepsy, has a lot to do with something called restless leg syndrome. So remember, sleep is one of those interesting fields where it's a generalist field. Yeah. So, at, right. So like as a doctor, if you're an internal medicine doctor, you're not a specialist. You have to know something about every single different area. Right. So when you go to see your doctor, you have a stomach ache, you know, and a headache. Um, he's got to be able to look at both areas and know something. Yeah. I have to do the same thing with sleep because there's so many different uh, possible areas of sleep that that could be there. And that's why we have so many specialists. Um, we also have surgeons who are specialists in sleep. And these are the, these are the uh, men and women who actually do the sleep apnea surgeries where they actually move your tongue or they take out your tonsils and they help you sleep better that way. Oh, yeah. And then finally, um, recently we've had uh, many cardiologists, so uh, heart doctors get involved um, because we know that there are severe consequences to your heart with undiagnosed sleep apnea. So there's a lot of different types of doctors um, that are studying sleep, that are treating sleep. And it's great because you can get uh, very different perspectives, but we're all kind of going after the same thing, which is higher quality sleep. Oh yeah. And, and what would you say is the state of this field? Um, like <clears throat> how, great how question. much do we know today and how much can we guess is uh, unknown? Here's the thing. The very first sleep laboratory in the United States was in 1946 in Walla Walla, Washington, and they were studying narcolepsy. Now, if you think about that, we've only been around for about 65 years as a discipline of medicine. Yeah. Think about like Hippocrates, right? Like 3000 years ago, they started medicine. So we're in the very, very early, early stages of understanding sleep. In fact, we don't even know why we sleep. Um, there's a famous book here in the United States called Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker. And he basically says, we don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, like we know we have to sleep. We yeah. know that bad things happen when we don't sleep, yes. but we really don't truly understand the function of sleep. I would argue that it's multifactorial, right? It's got multiple functions. I think there's like a general uh, physical restoration that has to occur at night. And there's a mental restoration that has to occur at night. But we can't just say that sleep is restorative in nature because it does so much more for our anatomy and for our mental health. Um, in fact, during stages three and four, we actually put information, uh, we actually remove information from our brains that we don't want there anymore. And we also remove these special proteins um, that help us avoid things like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. Oh, yeah. So it turns out that stages three and four, what we think is the physical restoration of sleep um, is very, very important, but equally as important 
is the mental restoration. This seems to occur during REM sleep, where we move information from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. Um, And that is quite an interesting process. Um, And of course, we dream during that period of time and we get these crazy hallucinations in our head. And really what's going on is information is just being transferred from uh, basically our short-term memory to our long-term memory. And that process, our brain interprets in these fantastical ways um, with dreams and things of that nature. So, you know, there's a lot going on <laughs> during sleep. And I'm, I'm curious about the dream state as well, uh, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe before that, you've been touching on different benefits of sleep. Uh, could yes. we dive a little bit deeper on that, on the, the key mm-hmm. benefits when it comes to the physical, the cognitive and emotional? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you named them all physical, cognitive and emotional. Um, There's no question we see them in all of them. Some of the more prominent ones that we see from a physical standpoint, we know, well, here's what we do know. We know that when we don't get good quality sleep or good quantity of sleep, not so good things happen in all three of those areas. Right. So when we don't get good sleep or we become sleep deprived, that's when we see a big uh, physical issue. So one of the first things that we see is reaction time drops by almost a third. Oh, and that's quite easy to measure as well. It's quite easy to measure and react. And people would say, well, who cares if I'm a third slower in my reaction time? Is that really that big a deal? If you drive a car (laughs) on a street, that's a big deal. Okay. And pretty much everybody drives a car. So we really, or let's say that for your work, you drive a forklift or you're a pilot or you're a truck driver or what have you. There's many, many jobs that require large equipment use. And let me tell you something, if you're not quick, you will not avoid an emergency and safety becomes a massive, massive problem, right? Um, Emotionally, we see that uh, lack of sleep has a tremendous effect. My daughter, um, I think says it best. She says, daddy, when you don't sleep well, you're a grumpy fish. And I was like, you know what, Carson, that is the best, most accurate description I have ever heard. Um, You're a scientist. (laughs) Yes, exactly. My daughter is now a scientist. And so, you know, I think that, but the truth of the matter is, is that we do get grumpy. We do have um, higher expressed emotions. Our depression is worse. Our anxiety is worse. Our anger is worse um, when we're sleep deprived. What's also interesting is rarely does it seem to accentuate a positive emotion to be sleep deprived. Mm, oh yeah. Like, like you would, like it only seems to affect negative stuff like anger and, you know, uh, resentment and uh, jealousy. All these things get much worse with sleep deprivation. You don't see happiness getting yeah. worse with sleep deprivation. <laughs> it's like you're more sensitive to the world around mm-hmm. you. Yeah? There's no question. And, you know, we also think about it, think uh, cognitively, right? Yes. So we've talked about kind of emotion, we talked about physical. Our thinking yes. is slower yeah. when we're not sleeping well, right? And, you know, is that really that big of a deal? I got to be honest with you, it probably is, yeah. especially when we're making a lot of decisions. And you know what? I think everybody is making a lot of decisions right now. You know, we're making health related decisions um, here in the United States. Um, We're locked down. I live in Los Angeles uh, in California, which is very strict. So we have lots of decisions that we have to make. And quite frankly, lots of stress. Um, You know, the world is going through and I mean, I think the word is getting overused, unprecedented, um, you know, situation. But people's sleep is really being affected. The word insomnia has been Googled more during COVID than it ever has, I think, in like the history of Google. So 
we really are seeing people on the um, cognitive side and the emotional side saying, wow, this is having an effect on me. So physical, cognitive, and emotional, all three affect sleep. I say this all the time and people don't really think about it, but it's really true. Everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. Oh. Everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that gets into what you started talking about, um, uh, designing a life and optimizing your day. Yeah. Yeah. And ties yeah. together with that. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at optimization and things like that, there's a lot of different things that you should be thinking about. Right. And so for me, what I try to do in my life and what I try to teach my patients to do is look around you and, and let make your life easier. Right. How, what are you talking about, Dr. Bruce, with sleep? Well, there's some basic rules about sleep that you can do that can make your sleep easier. And some of it have to do with your environment, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I talk to people all the time. So when I go into a, a bedroom and I'm trying to evaluate it, I go look at the five senses, right? So sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell, okay. right? Because if those five senses are affected, we can help you with your sleep. So the first one is sight or light, right? We know that light has a dramatic effect. In fact, it has the biggest effect on sleep. So you want to be in as dark a room as possible. Okay. Now, does that mean that if there's a little blue light on your television, that that's going to prevent you from sleeping? No, it's not. Yeah. You don't have to run around with tape and do all the crazy things that you hear people do on the internet. That's stupid. Okay. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Right. If there's a little light, it's a little light, right? It's yeah. different if the television is on, yeah. right. And there's, light coming blaring in now and by the way i'm the only sleep doctor in the world that says it's okay to fall asleep with the tv on i'll right. tell you why i am i'm the only guy that says it my wife does it every night i have no choice right <laughs> so i had to learn how to do it but what i discovered was is she's not watching tv she's listening to it and she's using it as a distraction oh yeah did you know that 99 of the televisions have timers built into the software now so we just set the timer. She falls asleep. The timer turns off. I fall asleep. It's very easy. It's very easy to do. But light turns out to have a major, major problem. So we always want it to be as dark as we possibly can. Sometimes we might require eye shades like an eye mask. Yeah. Um, sometimes it may require blackout curtains. Hard to say. Next is sound, right? So hearing. So turns out that the volume of sound has a lot to do with awakening people. And it has everything to do with what is the current sound level and then the change in sound. Mm -hmm. So as an example, if you have a white noise machine going and it kind of masks all the sounds because you live in a noisy neighborhood, yeah. you won't wake up. But if you didn't have that white noise machine, you might hear a car screeching, a siren going on. And so it's different volumes oh, yeah. and that alerts you. So using something like a sound machine can be helpful or earplugs can be helpful. Um, in fact, some people have an unfortunate sound machine sleeping right next to them because that person is snoring <laughs> all night long. Oh yeah, <laughs> That's a whole nother issue, right? And sometimes earplugs can be helpful for that as well. The third that area- That would ahead. be the brain reacting to, to the different sounds. Absolutely, absolutely. The third area has to do with touch, right? And what I think about with touch is I think about temperature and I think about beds, pillows, sheets, all of those things. Oh, yeah. So the temperature turns out to be very important. You really want to have a temperature of somewhere between 65 and 75 degrees Fahrenheit or around 18 to 20 Celsius, okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That you want to keep it cool. Keep it cool, as cool as you can. Um, it's better for sleep. That's number one. I've experienced one. that on a personal level. Oh yeah? Yeah, How I need so? colder rooms. I, I need colder rooms. If it's warm, I will have a hard time sleeping. I just rolling around. 
So I'll tell you why. So yeah. right around 1030 at night, your core body temperature is on the rise and then it hits a peak and then it drops. When it drops, that's a signal to your brain to release melatonin. Yeah. Melatonin, remember, is the key that starts the engine for sleep. It's not everything you need, but it's certainly one of the big ones, yeah. right? And so without your body dropping in temperature, no melatonin. So if the room is too hot, no melatonin. You see oh, what I'm saying? Yes. That's why you like it cold. Now, one of the things, you know, you look like a pretty lean fit guy. So one of the things we know is people like to exercise, right? And so exercise becomes important, but you don't want to exercise too close to bedtime because this body temperature rises. Remember, we want body temperature going down. Oh, yes. So exercising daily is awesome. And it's yeah. probably the best way to improve sleep quality. But you don't want to exercise too close to bedtime. About four hours is probably the four limit um, is where is kind of where you want to be there. So That's when you great. start to, you know, thinking about these different ways and, and things to do with sleep, it gets pretty interesting. But I, I've developed a five step plan that I think could be interesting to tell people. But before we start the five step plan, yep. we, we got to talk about mattresses and pillows and yes. sheets. Yes. Um, and I'll tell you why. So I'm a runner. Right. And I can run a race in flip flops with corn, you know, torn shorts with the boom box on my arm. But my time's not going to be too good. Right. Yes. Right. But if I've got my running shoes on and my dry fit wear and I got the good tunes, I can really run. Yes. Right. The same holds true with sleep. Sleep is a performance activity. Mm. OK. If you have the right equipment, you will perform better. Period. I love that framing, actually. I can I can see that. Right. It makes sense. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I use the right equipment for sleep. And so what does that mean? It's different for different people. I personally sleep on a Haston's mattress. That's the bed that I've chosen. I've done a lot of research uh, into mattresses and beds. And that's the one that I feel is without question, one of the best in the world. Um, and I get an amazing sleep on it. So it, it works out. It works out really well. Pillows are a whole nother issue, right? You need yes. to be thinking about pillows as well. Pillows, you change out much more frequently than you do a mattress, but oh, yeah. pillows become very important and it's all based on your position, right? So if you're a side sleeper, you might want a thicker pillow to make up for the space between, you know, your ear and the mattress. But if you're a back sleeper, you want a thinner pillow. Otherwise it pushes your head too far forward. You can't breathe as well, that kind of thing. So there's a little bit of a finesse yeah, uh, required, true. right? In getting the right equipment, but it's no different than, like I said, going for a run. Like I can't go for a run in a size 13 shoe, right? I can only go for a run in a size nine and a half shoe because that's the size of my feet, right? And so it doesn't, everybody's got to figure out their fit, right? Their size, like what they need to have around them to feel safe and to be able to sleep well. And you mentioned like you're a runner, I go to the gym and I, mm -hmm. I do boxing as well. And awesome. these are activities that we do for, let's say, an hour or two. And we really mm -hmm. go into getting the right equipment. And right. when you frame it like this, why wouldn't we invest and spend time in finding the right equipment for something we're doing six to eight hours per day? Exactly. And that's the thing that's so interesting to me is people say to me all the time, they're like, oh my gosh, why would you spend money on a mattress? I'm like, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> yes. that's the piece of furniture I spend more time on than anything, yes. you know? And it's, it's really funny, you know, here in the United States, everybody here is all about their cars, right? You know, it's all about, I've got the fancy this and the, you know, and so I turn to people all the time. I'm like, how much money did you spend on that car? Oh, and yes. they're like, oh, well, I spent $80,000 on a BMW. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's that's a lot of money. How, how often do you drive it? Like how many hours in a day are you in that car? Yes. 
And they say to me, well, I drive to work. And of course now with COVID, almost nobody's driving anywhere. They say, well, maybe I use it for 45 minutes a day. I'm like, hmm. So let me get this straight. You spent 80,000 US dollars on something that you're using 45 minutes a day. And you won't even, and, and you're not even interested in looking at higher end bedding. And you're there for anywhere from six to eight hours. And it has a direct effect on your health. Like, are you sure you're making the right decision here? Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. There should be more virtue signaling in beds. We should be <laughs> a social media channel for beds. I know. Wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, a question that I'm personally, before you go into the, your five steps. My five step plan. Uh-huh. I, I'm curious about meditation and sleep. Is, oh, you, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So you've probably of personal mm-hmm. interest done some research into this. Mm-hmm. It's very, very interesting. So this is a this is a very interesting uh, question um, on many levels. So number one, people need to understand that meditation was never really designed to make you feel sleepy. Oh. Okay, like if you if you look at the history of meditation, it's about being present. Yes, it's not about falling asleep. Yes, right. And it, also and the way I've learned it, it's like mm-hmm. several several steps in order to be present. The way you're sitting and you know, exactly posture. Right. It has almost nothing to do with sleep, in fact. Yeah. However, when you meditate daily, what we find is that it's much easier for you to fall asleep. You are more re- overall, you're much more relaxed. You're much more calm yeah. as an individual. The number one problem with falling asleep usually is heart rate. And oh, people yeah. don't know this, oh, yeah. but most people's heart rate needs to get to 60 or below in order to successfully get into sleep. Well, meditation does a great job of helping us lower our heart rate. But remember, meditation is used for keeping us present. There are, however, specific meditations that have been created just for sleep. So what I tell people all the time is I'm a big fan of meditation. As a matter of fact, I just started um, with this new product. Have you ever heard? Oh, here it is. Have you ever heard of this thing? It's called a Muse, M-U-S-E. Yes, I've heard about it and I'm very interested in it. I just got I love this thing. I just I got it. about it. It's, it's neuroscience, it's, right? And yeah. It's totally cool. So it's a headband and you have EEG uh, electrodes inside. So you're actually measuring brain waves. Like nobody's been able to do that. I have to assure you of that. So not only are you measuring brain waves, but what happens is it kind of gives you this idea like that your brain waves are a storm, like a weather storm. Mm, yes. And then it says, concentrate on your heart rate focusing on one thing yeah. and then the storm gets a little bit more quiet and a little bit more quiet and a little bit more quiet. And what it does is it helps bring you out of your body for a moment in order to understand how to picture the silence and understand how to see the energy, understand how to do all of those things. It's quite fascinating. I've had a lot of fun with it. I've been playing with it for about a week now um, and um, I'm, I'm really digging it. The data on meditation and sleep is very interesting. Again. We don't meditate in order to fall asleep, but we meditate in order to give our bodies a calmness or a stillness that allows for us to lower our anxiety. And that lowering of anxiety seems to allow us to get to bed. So meditation is then more like an, like sleep as well, an overall tool that then also happens to affect sleep in a positive way. Exactly. I think of it kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're training for like, let's say you're uh, training for boxing, right. Then, then meditation might be your nutrition, right? It's one factor that plays a role, but it's not the thing that you would do right before the fight. Oh, (laughs) Exactly. It's more of a proactive tool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
Exactly. So you ready for the five-step plan? Yes, please. I'm super okay. excited. So, so this is a plan that I developed that everybody can follow. It will not cost you any money and it will a hundred percent improve your sleep. If you follow it, you yeah. will get improved sleep. Yeah. So step number one is to find one wake up time. Okay. Now, what do I mean by that? Many people wake up at one time during the week and a separate time on the weekends. Oh yes. No, 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 no. Bad idea. Yes. Consistency in your wake up time. If, if people get one thing from my talk today, one thing, it's wake up at the same time every single day, including yes. Saturday, including yeah. Sunday. Okay. I need so to I told you that. Mm -hmm. I told you I get up at 613. I do it on Saturday and I do it on Sunday too. It, I didn't like it at first. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm all by myself. My whole family's asleep type of thing. But you know what? I get so much good stuff done. I can do my morning meditations. I can do some breathe, deep breathing exercises. I take my dog for a walk. I have a little companionship. I can really do a lot of things with my mornings that I never had the time to do before, but it's the consistency in my wake-up time that has really anchored my sleep, right? And, and let me tell you something that was kind of interesting yeah. is my wake-up time wasn't 6.13 before. It was 7.30, but I was so consistent with it. After three months, it went to 7.15. After three more months, it went to seven o'clock. After three more months, it went to 6.45. You see what's happening here, right? Is my sleep is consolidating oh, because yeah. I'm going to bed and waking up at my chronotypical bedtime and wake up time. And that's really where the magic happens. So if you take your, if you go to take the chrono quiz, it'll tell you exactly when you're supposed to wake up. Yeah. Just do that. Yeah. Okay. I promise you it will work. Okay. So step number one, over time. Yes. consistently over time, one wake up time. Yes. Step number two has to do with uh, my old friend here, caffeine. Um, caffeine is something that has a dramatic effect on people's sleep um, right. and people don't even realize it. And caffeine stays in your system for quite a long time. Um, in many people, especially if you're a slow metabolizer, it could be six to eight hours, right? Ooh. So you really need to be aware. So I ask people, step number two is to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Very good. Generally speaking, if you stop at two, if you're a slow metabolizer and it takes eight hours to get half of it out of your system, it's 10 o'clock, which is kind of the average bedtime. And so you should be a little bit better off. Okay. Now I know that you've got some listeners out there and here's what they're thinking. Huh? Sleep doctor. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I can have a cup of coffee with dinner and I can go right to sleep. Yeah. I know you've got some listeners out there and they are thinking this very thought right this very second. Yes. So I know, I know, trust <laughs> me, dude, I've done this before. And so here's what I can tell you is we've discovered that people have different caffeine sensitivities. Um, I have one patient, she can drink a pot of coffee and fall asleep. I've got another one. If she eats a chocolate bar, she, she's up for three days. Okay. So we have different caffeine sensitivities, but here's what I'll tell you is the real truth behind it all mm -hmm. is if you drink a cup of coffee before you go to sleep, even if you're not sensitive to caffeine, caffeine is a stimulant. If I put electrodes on your head, the quality of the sleep that you are getting is terrible. In mm -hmm. fact, caffeine lowers stage three, four sleep and lowers REM sleep. So once again, these are two of the most important sleep stages for our refortification, for our physical restoration, for our mental restoration. We really don't wanna be having these so close to bedtime. Now, also to be clear, you don't wanna just cut off caffeine. Mm -hmm. I've had two patients end up in the emergency room when they just cut off caffeine 
without really slowing it down. Now, to be fair, these were very extreme caffeine drinkers. One person was drinking a pot of coffee a day. The other person was drinking a liter of soda a day. So they just said, that's it, I'm stopping. And they, one of them ended up having a seizure. So wow. be careful with yes. the caffeine, but you really wanna stop it by 2 p.m. Step number three has to do with alcohol. Oh, yeah. um, that is a big one for lots of people. Turns out that alcohol is the number one sleep aid in the world. More people use alcohol to put them to sleep than any other thing. And let me tell you something, dude, it's not a good idea. No. The closer you are drinking alcohol to actually closing your eyes, the bigger effect it has on sleep. In fact, alcohol almost completely gets rid of stages three and four sleep. Remember that physical restoration? Yeah. This is part of the reason why people get a hangover the next day. Like, you know how you feel oh, terrible the next yeah, day? Yeah. It's because you don't get the stage three, four sleep. You That's haven't one recovered. Reason. Exactly. The other one has to do with dehydration. Most people don't know this either. Sleep in and of itself is a dehydrative event, meaning that if you actually um, look at your water throughout the night, in the humidity in your breath, you lose one liter of water every night just from breathing, okay? So if you drink alcohol before bed, which makes you have to pee, yeah. you're already dehydrated. Then you sleep, you get more dehydrated. You wake up, you look like a raisin, right? Yes. I mean, it's yeah. like you got no, you've got nothing in you. So don't worry, step number five is gonna take care of that. But alcohol is step number three, and you wanna stop alcohol three hours before bed. Why did I choose three hours? It takes the average human about one hour to digest one alcoholic beverage. That's number one. Number two, most people will have one, maybe two glasses of wine with mm -hmm. dinner. Once you hit the third alcoholic beverage, it's not good. It's just not. Number one, most people get energized, not relaxed. And yeah. in some cases with men, they can get aggressive. So yeah. again, there's no reason to get to that third drink. But if you wait three hours after your last drink, the alcohol's out of your system, you will go to sleep and be just fine. Step number four Great is that you added that tr uh, hack or trick of how to- Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Step number four is with my old buddy exercise. You and I are both big exercisers, so we, we appreciate that. But again, you don't wanna to exercise too close to bedtime because of that core body temperature heat. Yeah. So yeah. step number four is to exercise daily, but stop exercise four hours before bed. Four hours. Now, step number five is again, another simple one, but this is a way to wake up and have better energy, right? So when we wake up in the morning, the very first thing we do is we should wake up and we should drink 15 ounces of water, not coffee, water. Yes. yes. <laughs> and get 15 minutes of sunshine. Sunshine, yeah. Dr. Bruce, why? Why on earth would we need to do that? I'm gonna show that. you the science. Yeah. So what's interesting is when you go outside, the light from the sun, you have very special cells in your eyeballs called melanopsin cells. And these re actually turn off the melatonin faucet in your brain when they see sunlight. So to get rid of brain fog, go over to the window, drink your water and get some sunshine. I promise you, do me a favor, put on a robe, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Nobody wants to see you in your pajamas in front of the window, but get some sunlight guys and get a little water in you. You'll be surprised. So in summary, step number one, one wake up time. Step number two, stop caffeine by 2 PM. Step number three, stop alcohol three hours before bed. Step number four, exercise daily, but stop exercise four hours before bed. And step number five, give the sun a high five every morning, get 15 minutes of sunlight and 15 ounces of water. That's, That's it. brilliant. I will start doing all of them. I have one problem though. What? Being in Sweden, 
Mm-hmm. Right now Sunlight. we have about eight months where we won't be seeing any sun. Do you have yeah. a trick or a hack for that? Is there? A I do, as a matter of fact. So yeah. you can you can actually buy a light box. Yeah. So these are commercially available. They're not very expensive. You can find them on Amazon and things like that. Um, and so I actually travel with a light box with me okay. because I travel actually to Sweden. Oh, yeah. um, because I come there for Hastens and I know have actually some several friends there. And then I've been to Denmark many times and in Copenhagen. It's been just an awesome. I love that part of the world. You guys are such amazing people. And I have such a good time when I'm there. But you don't have a lot of sunlight. That's um, it. <laughs> and, and that is a tough one. So yeah. there are many different products out there. I've seen products that are actually glasses that have lights on the inside to help you um, get some some of that in the morning. So there are definitely some products that are available for people, but I like the light boxes the most. Light box. And just out of curio- curiosity, is that any light or? Uh... So you want, you actually, in the morning time, you want um, 10,000 lux. That's how we uh, measure light okay. uh, for about 10 minutes. Okay. So it doesn't matter how you get it, just 10,000 lux for 10 minutes and that'll wake your butt up. It sounds like, a, yeah, it sounds like a button, like pressing a button. Yeah, like, exactly. Up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And finally, I would like to hear a little bit more about this collaboration with Hestens. Very of excited course. about the Restore app. Could you tell so us about we're, that? we're doing some really, really amazing things at Hestens. And so for folks who haven't had the opportunity, um, if you want to check out our sleep spa, um, that's pretty amazing online. Um, but, you know, with Hastens, I have a great partnership. And one of the things that we've been able to do um, together is, number one, almost all of the Hastens employees get training from me. And so, right. So it's not, they're not just selling a product. The product is awesome. Let's be clear. I've got one. I love it. But they're, we're, we're educating all of the Hastens employees to now become sleep specialists and to know more about sleep and the science behind sleep, because then they can translate this to their customers and in their product set. And so we've been, the biggest thing that we've done is now we're working with many of the employees across the entire company and they're all learning about sleep. They love it. They are so excited to yes. be learning about sleep um, because they're all they're all super curious people and they've been in the business for a while. So they're like, yeah, we want to learn about this, we want to learn about this. And then they love to talk to their clients about it. I mean, okay. I've got some of some of the Hastens employees, it's funny, they're calling up clients they haven't talked to in years. And they're saying, wait, do you hear what I just learned? I remember <laughs> you and you need to learn this. And it's it's just a wonderful community and relationship. Um, and then the, the new app has yeah. got some really great features to it as well. Um, you know, people should definitely download, explore the app. There's so many different things to it. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> <laughs> as I get it, there's a focus on on helping you getting in a more calm state. And That's correct. Yeah. The things and we're so has speaking a, about that you need to balance yeah. out your day. Yeah. Exactly. And so the, the, the restore app has a lot to do with relaxation, has to do a lot with calmness and there are different techniques and tools in there for people to, to utilize, to be able to use before bed. Yeah. Great. Wow. This has been a great conversation. I will probably be listening to it about five times to catch up (laughs) on everything you said. This is really stuff that I needed to learn more about personally. Well, I'm super excited to have the opportunity to be here with you uh, and learn um, and uh, educate and do all of these wonderful things. I know your community really values um, what you're doing. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for taking this call. Absolutely. Take care. And everybody, sweet dreams.